Welcome to the Baptist Broadcast. Thank you for tuning in through Spotify, iTunes, Podcast Addict, and so on. If you're watching here on YouTube, do not forget to click the subscribe button. I think that there are a great many of you that watch and have not subscribed. If you, if that's you, please, please click that button. It takes two seconds. It's free. That bell for continued notifications so that you get the notifications whenever new videos appear and so on. The kingdom of God, what is it? Very important question. Uh, it's also a very debated question. It's usually usually the question that comes up when uh, you're talking about uh, the, the rift between uh, Reformed theology and, and dispensationalism. I know that uh, for, for dispensationalists, the kingdom is a big question. Uh, it's a big question for everybody. Uh, it's an important question because if, if we if we get that wrong, um, at, at least this is my uh, this is where this is where my concern lies. If we get the kingdom of God wrong, which comes through, in my estimation, the gospel itself, then that is just that's just one step closer to getting the gospel itself wrong, and uh, either over-realizing or under-realizing the gospel. I think I think what dispensationalism does is it under-realizes the gospel in relation to the kingdom. Uh, and uh, you take something like uh, contemporary or modern post, post-millennialism and it, it over-realizes uh, the kingdom uh, and the gospel uh, as a result. And over-realizing something is just as bad as under-realizing something because... Ultimately, when you overrealize or underrealize, you're using something not in accord with its intended purpose. So, if God defines the gospel, gives it a purpose, gives it an end, it gives it an end and a goal, and then we say, "Well, actually, its end and goal is 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 something other than what God has said it is." That's you know, and 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 we construe that in terms of it being more broad or whatever. That's an overrealization. And then if we take you know God. Uh, his purpose ascribed to the gospel and the gospel itself, and we say, well, actually, it's it's not it's not as grand as as he declares it to be and as he defines it to be in his word. Well, that that would be like under realizing the gospel. So either way is is bad, and we don't want to do it. We want we want to um, understand the gospel according to what it is uh, and and what it's for. And when when we in relation to the kingdom of God, the kingdom which is so um, such a flashpoint for debate, we want to get the kingdom of God right too, because if the kingdom of God comes through the gospel, then we we don't want to uh, and and the kingdom of God is indeed a part of or a big part of the gospel. Uh, then we we don't want to underrealize or overrealize it either. Um, and so I'll st- I'm going to start off with uh, a text, Daniel 2:44, and and now a lot of my futurist friends will say, well, this has already been fulfilled, and or no, this is this hasn't been fulfilled yet, and uh, this kingdom that's going to be set up is is uh, is 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 not yet, and so they would they would resist the idea that there's a present existence to the kingdom that. The kingdom, this kingdom, is is something future, and then they make a distinction between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, and all that. I don't want to get into that. Um, what I want to address here is the identity of the kingdom, especially in the face of uh, the kind of modern political—I uh, say modern, contemporary political 
post-millennial theonomic um, slant that's often put on the kingdom, uh, which is is concerning for a number of reasons. I'll, I'll get into them here in a moment. But Daniel 2.44 says, And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It's exclusive. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, kingdoms of the world, and it shall stand forever. So um, this is a kingdom that is established, and this is my take on it. This is a kingdom that is established in Christ Jesus uh, at the at the advent of Christ. More more specifically, um, as a result of his incarnation and sufferings, and he ascends to the throne in his glories. Um, and so this is this is a kingdom that's already been set up. Now the the reason. The reason I bring this text up is because I believe uh, the post-millennialists, the theonomists, and and all of them, we would agree on that, all right? And so the reason I wanted to bring this text up is because oftentimes when you hear discussions about the kingdom with uh, with those who who kind of what I would what I would say overrealize the kingdom when when you hear when you hear discussions going on with those who over-realize this, the, the kingdom, or when you participate in discussions like that, when they say basically that the kingdom is everything good that happens throughout the world and is evidence that Christ is ruling, um, the, I, think what, I think what's happening is they're, is they're confusing this kingdom that we know is set up at a, at a point in time. Um, they're confusing this kingdom... And this, which is which is this this specific rule of God or administration of God's rule in the world, they're confusing that with God's absolute sovereignty and providential rule over everything. All right, so um, I think what happens a lot of times is is um, you'll talk to some post millennialists. I don't put them all in this in this category, um, but you'll talk to some who say, well, any. Anytime anything good happens, that indicates an advancement of the kingdom. It, that means the kingdom is beating back the the the, the forces of darkness or whatever. Um, and that, I mean, if if you're talking about if you're talking about good triumphing over evil, that happens cyclically throughout world history, and it even happened prior to the establishment of this kingdom. So natural good and civil goods occur, right? The, even in the most pagan societies, there are laws that can be found in their legal system that are, are good laws, like you shall not murder. And if you murder, these penalties will be, uh, will be assessed. And so, uh, and so that's a good law, right? Even though it might exist in Hindu India, uh, even though it may have existed in um, in the ancient Roman Empire, that is a good law, right? And, and so there are there are expressions of God's goodness in the natural world that are perennial and have lasted uh, for as long as creation has been around. That are not necessarily expressions or indications that this kingdom, which is set up. In Daniel, according to Daniel two forty four, 
it doesn't necessarily those expressions of goodness do not necessarily uh, presuppose or or indicate that that kingdom in particular is expanding. In other words, natural goodnesses and civil goodnesses throughout the world are not expressions necessarily of this kingdom which God set up through Christ. Uh, does the kingdom that God set up through Christ produce good civil changes? Yes, it does. Uh, you think about a, a, a just a, a, a town, a small town that has undergone revival, and by the grace of God, most people in that town are Christians, true Christians. Uh, that town is going to be different than it was five years, ten years before. Um, and so, uh, yes, it, the, where the kingdom goes, there are uh, necessarily changes as people are changed. But what's but but when civil good is is imposed upon an empire or a society or a city, even a pagan one, it doesn't necessarily indicate that the kingdom, this kingdom that has been established in Christ, has 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 been there, right? Has 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 uh, has actually begun encroaching upon that territory. Um, the reason we want to and the reason we want to make that observation is so that we can make the distinction between common goods and. Uh, and and goods that result specifically from the gospel uh, that are are specific to God's people, um, right? This kingdom shall not be left to other people. So, this 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 kingdom and the goods that come in it are distinct to a uh, to believers, to those who are in Christ. And what we don't want to do is we won't we don't want to lose the distinct uh, the distinct uh, nature of the gospel blurring it with uh, common or natural good. Um, and I think that that can happen when we're, when we're when we're looking at things like technological advancement, we're saying, wow, look, that means the kingdom of God is is expanding. Well, uh, no, it doesn't. Um, it, it doesn't mean that the kingdom of God is expanding. There are tons of uh, of advancements and things of that nature that occurred prior to the setting up of this kingdom that were good. Uh, that were that indicated progress for humanity and led humanity into a better estate that didn't necessarily indicate the expansion of this kingdom that was set up in the in in, in Christ. So uh, I think that's a that's a that's an important distinction to start with and it's it's where we'll start this conversation as well. The other thing I wanted to do is, um, is further distinguish the kingdom. Now that we kind of have our baseline, this kingdom is a kingdom that has been set up. All right, there's something distinct to it that is is not just uh, the uh, the uh, appearance of natural goods or common goods. There's something more to this kingdom that has been established in Christ than that, um, and and there's something that 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 marks it as something that is is distinct from just the uh, the proliferation of natural or, or common goods, and um, and so what I want to do is I want to I want to further explore what exactly marks it and distinguishes it from just um, common goods, and I think we can uh, we can do that by going to Romans fourteen, and uh, let's see I'll bring your I'll bring the window capture up here, and um, you can see Romans fourteen. And I'll try to make it a little bigger. Um, so here we here we read, and I'll I'll go ahead and begin at, at verse fourteen, 
where it says, I know and I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. All right, so we're on the topic or the issue of Christian liberty. Verse 16, therefore do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Now, I know our theonomist friends do not like this distinction, but there is implied here something of the distinction between secular and sacred. Um, on the one hand, you have, and, and by secular and sacred, I, I don't mean secular and something that is opposed to God. I mean something that is common to the whole world, something that is natural, and something that is not necessarily concurrent with or included within uh, the new covenant and uh, all of the gospel blessings available therein, right? So it's 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 not uh, it's not uh, natural common goods. Uh, natural common things are often called secular things, and they're called secular things not because they're opposed to God, and it's not because they're not under God's sovereign uh, rule, but it's because these things are common to both the unbelieving and believing world. Uh, and so do not indicate uh, sacred worship or public worship or the ordinances therein or specific blessings that come through the gospel. All right, that's what secular means in this context. And so what you have here is a subtle distinction between the secular on the one hand, you have just the ordinary affairs of humanity, eating and drinking, distinct from the kingdom of God and what goes on within that economy, which is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's not just civil righteousness. It's not just civil peace. These are specific righteousnesses and peacefulnesses that and joyfulness, actually, that comes in the Holy Spirit or exists in the Holy Spirit, or we might say in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Um, and so eating and drinking is good. Uh, those are those are natural joys that the Lord has given us uh, and are part and parcel with his creation. Hallelujah. However, there is something in addition to that that um, that does not that is that is that is special and is defined and is beyond just the natural affairs of this world uh, and and is either deeper or or above the mere uh, uh, the mere act of, of eating and drinking. Um, and so as Christians, and the point here Paul's trying to make, we don't want to we don't want to become obsessed over these over these natural details or the the minutiae of the common world, which is shared both between uh, unbeliever and believer. Rather we want to be interested in the encouragement and the um, the the proliferation and the the good witness of the kingdom of God, which is not in eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, um, and so that distinguishes the kingdom. That distinguish. I I have this window here in my office, and every once in a while, I get a bird that flies into it. It makes a really loud thump. So, 
I think that I think that just happened. <laughs> it happened last night too. So uh, nothing nothing new under the sun, right? Anyway, um, so there, there's there's a distinction here between what goes on in the kingdom and what's going on in the natural world. That's not to say that natural things are not assumed by the kingdom, but it's also to say that where the king where the natural world is going on is not necessarily where the kingdom is, right? Because the kingdom is marked by righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, and there are places in the world where there is no righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Um, and so where there is no righteousness and peace and, or joy in the Holy Spirit, there is no kingdom. This kingdom that God set up, uh, that, that is promised and prophesied about in Daniel 2.44, that kingdom is not present where there is no righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, all right? Because the, the declaration here, the indicative, um, uh, is uh, is is just that that it's that it's that it's in uh, that it's in uh, the Holy Spirit, and uh, and so where that's to the extent that's not happening, to the extent that that's non-existent, well then this kingdom, this kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, I think all those things are the same. Uh, that kingdom is not present, right? There has to be righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit for the kingdom to be present. Now, that brings us to a, uh, I think, an important discussion, further discussion. Let me get this out of the way. On um, on the nature of the kingdom, so we've distinguished it from the natural world uh, and common goods. We, we don't want to identify the kingdom of God with common goods that appear in the world because if we do that, then we actually lose the distinctness of the kingdom of God and the gospel itself. So we want to make that distinction. Uh, it's a distinction that roughly corresponds with um, uh, natural revelation and supernatural revelation, where natural revelation is uh, revelation that's common to all. Supernatural revelation is revelation that's uh, specific to God's people and received only by them through faith. And so uh, it, it's, a, it's a similar distinction to that. The, uh, the common kingdom, we might call it, and the kingdom of God, which is established in Christ, are distinguished along similar lines. Because God rules over the con common kingdom. He has absolute dominion over it. Um, and it's all, under his, it's, all un, it's all contained within his, his, his plan and purpose and so on. Um, but it's it's common, right? Uh, and it's 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 had and shared by both believer and unbeliever. The kingdom of God is not. The kingdom of God is specific to those who uh, experience the righteousness and peace and joy of the Holy Spirit. So, um, let's uh, let's let's move to to that part of the discussion where we we discuss the nature of the kingdom itself, having distinguished it having now distinguished it from, from the natural world. Um, it does, it's not opposed to the natural world, but it is, it is beyond the natural world as well. So it's kind of like faith and reason. Faith is not opposed to reason, but it is supra-rational. It is beyond reason. So, so think, of, think of the kingdom of God or the redemptive kingdom and the common kingdom according or along the lines of the same, of the same kind of distinction. So what about the kingdom of heaven or what about the kingdom of God? What is it? Uh, and, and the interesting thing is, is like when you look through the Old Testament, I have it pulled up somewhere here. Um, like Psalm 2, Psalm 2, 28, for example. Um, 
where and I can I can uh, I'm not going to bring it up on the screen because I'm not going to spend that much time here. But in Psalm twenty two twenty eight it says, "For the kingdom is the Lord's, and He rules over the nations." All right. So when we when we read the word kingdom in Psalm twenty two twenty eight, we automatically assume a political institution, um, and we we might start. Uh, we might start visualizing uh, national borders, uh, a, a castle. Um, you know, some of us might think of um, armies or a military, something like that. All of these political notions are conjured up in our minds whenever we read a, a term like kingdom in the Old Testament. But in in verse twenty eight here. Um, and, and this is not the case. This is not the case every time we see the Hebrew translated to the word kingdom. All right, but but this I think will help give us some some perspective. In Psalm twenty two twenty eight, the word kingdom is meluka, and it 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 actually indicates the status as king. All right, so it indicates the status as king or a kingship. And if you read a commentator like. R.T. France on on Matthew, which is like a thousand pages. But when he's commenting on Matthew, Matthew is is supremely concerned with the kingdom of God. He mentions it several times, and it's kind of a central theme in his account of the gospel. And so when France is talking about Matthew's use of the kingdom, he talks about how the kingdom, we often envisage a political institution, but the kingdom rather in terms of how Matthew uses it, but also its Old Testament background, denotes the rule of God, all right? It denotes the rule of God or his status as king, his kingship, right? So it's not, it's, it's not, necessarily, um, it's not necessarily referring to some visual political institution that we can, you know, you know walk up to and, and see immediately, um, and, um, and so we have to keep that in mind. So it's, it's talking about the rule of God. And so in a sense, you can take that word kingdom and understand it in a universal way, uh, because God is sovereign over all things. God is king over all things. According to his divinity, God, the son is king over all things. And he has been from day one of creation until now, Right. So what is it about this kingdom of Christ that's distinct from that? That's the question. And we've, we've covered that to some extent already. But, um, but when we're talking about the, the kingdom of God and its Old Testament background denotes the rule of God. Now, the rule of God can be administered in distinct ways in the creation. So, for example, God rules... Um, a a kingdom, a, a political, let's say a kingdom, like a political kingdom, uh, like even a pagan empire. So there's a specific power that he has given to them, and in his providence, he 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 rules over them. Um, and but when we sh- when we shift over to the kingdom of Christ, that's a distinct, that's a distinct and special administration of God's rule that does not exist, uh, we might say, in the common administration of his rule, which is common to all the earth at all times and at all places, right? So we, we, we make a careful distinction between Christ's kingdom and the, the, uh, 
the the um, I guess we could say the administration of God's rule, which is special and distinct to it, and all the kingdoms of the earth, which is a uh, a a common uh, administration of God's sovereign rule over over all things, over all political institutions, and so on. So. When we're talking about kingdom, we're talking firstly and foremostly, usually in the Old Testament especially, what is in view is the efficient cause of the kingdom, which is God's rulership, his kingship, he as king. That's the efficient cause of the kingdom. The The, the question then becomes, okay, well, what's its makeup? In other words, and, and now we're shifting back, we're, we're moving away from the discussion of the common realm to now the, the, the special realm, which is the kingdom of Christ. What's the makeup of the kingdom of Christ? Okay, so the efficient cause would be uh, the incarnate Lord ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. That would be the efficient cause of the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Now, what is the material cause? In other words, what is it made out of? What, what What's its matter? Uh, and... Um, this is a this is a a large point of contention within the discussion with postmillennialists and theonomists and so on, because they will want to say that the material of the kingdom is not just the people, but also the institutions that the people make up, right? And so then that would start to envelop common institutions or institutions that are um, uh, that are part of, and I would say distinct to, the natural world. Um, and it would say the kingdom of Christ uh, begins to uh, envelop those common world, common kingdom institutions as the people are changed, right? And as the people receive the gospel, as the Lord is pleased to draw many people to himself. However, when we start to make that confusion, right, we start to blend the common kingdom together with this special kingdom that has been set up at a particular point in time through the Lord Jesus Christ as specific benefits, a specific constitution. The walls of its city is called salvation in Isaiah, right? So there's there's some definite differences between it and natural common things. Um, that's not to say that natural common things are bad or that natural common things are not within the rule of God. We've already talked about that, right? So qualify with that. But this special kingdom is not that, all right? And so when we start to blend the kingdom that God has set up through Christ with the common aspects of the world, identifying the kingdom, as it were, with common institutions— then what happens is we begin to temporalize the kingdom of God. We begin to naturalize the kingdom of God. We temporalize it in the sense that a lot of those institutions that are said to be enveloped within the kingdom are not permanent. They're not eternal, right? So they're institutions that will go away. However, we know that the kingdom of God is eternal, right? And uh, it's, it's, its rule is not only eternal, its efficient cause is not only eternal, Christ himself, but its material cause is eternal as well, human beings who will experience the resurrection and so on. We are told that the creation 
is going to experience that glory also. But we are not told that numerous institutions out there, various institutions, some of which have been created by man, some of which have been created by God, we're not told that those are going to experience glory. Um, and in fact, they're, uh, they're, it, all indications point to a, uh, a, a, a kind of a, a abolishing of those things at the end um, when Christ delivers the kingdom over. And so what we don't, don't want to do is we don't want to put things in the kingdom of God that themselves are not eternal. Right, uh, because the kingdom of God is concerned with that, which is 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 eternal. Um, I I hope that that was helpful. Um, maybe in just getting you to helping you to think through these things. Uh, maybe you don't even agree, but at least it's getting your gears churning. Um, and some of these distinctions are are um, helping you to further think out your own position. So hopefully that's the case. And um, uh, I praise God for the opportunity to be able to, to do this, and um, I will uh, see you guys next time.